0: Okay, thank you, Martin. Could you give me a wave if you can hear me? That's great. It's always awkward to ask that question after about 20 minutes, so I thought I'd ask that now. It's really uh, brilliant to be here speaking to you this morning. And uh, I must say, I'm a little bit nervous because this is the first time I've actually spoken live for nearly a year now. I think it's since March last year. It's so lovely to be able to see all your faces and to have that bit of interaction, that's fantastic. And uh, But it's interesting, because when you do the pre-record, you've always got that option. If you say something a bit daft, or if you uh, get tied over your words, then you can always press uh, stop and start again. And so I don't have that option. But I'm pleased to say I haven't actually done that. But uh, it's funny when you take that option away. Now, now you're stuck with me for the next 20 minutes. So we're going to give it our absolute best shot. Today, we're going to be reading in Acts 8, if you could get your Bibles ready. And uh, we're going to be talking about an amazing encounter. Have you ever had a completely out of the blue encounter? I remember uh, one of the... surprise meetings that probably surprised me the most in my whole life was uh, my friend Ben lived in Nottingham and I was living in Birmingham at the time. And uh, unbeknown to each other, uh, he went to a conference one day and uh, and I went to a job interview. And uh, we only realised that this was happening when we met on the same platform of King's Cross Station in London. Suffice to say, we were pretty surprised to bump into each other on the same platform at the same time in the middle of London. I remember uh, I went on a a holiday with my parents and um, we went to uh, America to visit some friends and we stayed in New York for a time and we went to the Statue of Liberty and uh, as you do, being a little bit sad like me, uh, we took our Shrewsbury Town shirts with us. And as we got there, we took our Shrewsbury Town shirts out and uh, we put on the blue and amber stripes and we took the mugshot photo. uh, And then you send them in and they put it in the programme and all that sort of stuff. So we're there at the Statue of Liberty and we got our Shrewsbury Town shirts out. We put them on, mum gets the camera, say cheese. and, uh, And the bloke who was walking behind us with his family was like, are you guys from Shrewsbury? And we were like, yeah. And he was like, oh, wow, we're from Poncebury. And uh, I thought, what are the chances of that? that? We've headed over to the sort of the other side of the Atlantic, we've stood outside this, um, this great landmark. We've tried to take our photo and that exact moment, some chap from about five miles away is there with his family just behind us. The encounter we're talking about today though, has absolutely no chance to do with it. Let's just back up a little bit though and remind ourselves of what's happening in the church at this time. What a difficult time the church is experiencing. Opposition, persecution, distractions. They're being, well, they've been scattered because of this attack against them. Saul is going from house to house, dragging people out, putting people in prison. The church is starting to, uh, to scatter from where they've been a real time of pressure and difficulty. And I'm not sure about you, but if that was what was happening in Shrewsbury, I think that my tendency might be to sort of keep my head down a little bit maybe and uh, to not do anything that drew attention to myself perhaps. I hope it's not like that, but in all honesty, it, 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 it might feel a little bit like that. What we have from Philip today is definitely not that kind of attitude. Philip is about to go on the most remarkable road trip. So we're gonna read that in Acts chapter eight and from verse 26. Now an angel of the Lord said to Philip, go south to the road, the desert road that goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. So he started out and on his way he met an Ethiopian eunuch, an important official in charge of all the treasury of the Kandike, which means Queen of the Ethiopians. This man had gone to Jerusalem to worship and on his way home was sitting in his chariot, reading the book of Isaiah the prophet. The spirit told Philip, go to that chariot and stay near it. Then Philip ran up to the chariot and heard the man reading Isaiah the prophet. Do you understand what you're reading? Philip asked. How can I, he said, unless someone explains it to me. So he invited Philip to come up and to sit with him. This is the passage of scripture the eunuch was reading. He was led like sheep to the slaughter, and as a lamb before its shearer is silent, so he did not open his mouth. In his humiliation he was deprived of justice. Who can speak of his descendants? For his life was taken from the earth." The eunuch asked Philip, tell me, please, who is the prophet talking about? Is it himself or someone else? Then Philip began with that very passage of scripture and told him the good news about Jesus. This is an amazing passage of scripture. And it starts off in an incredible way. An angel said to Philip, wow there's enough in that to uh to just stop and reflect a direct message from god to him not exactly a specific message though head south go on the road south now i'm not sure about you but if god was giving me directions i would probably wait for just a little bit more clarity than that you know south 14 and a half miles until you see the big oak tree next to the bench or something like that but there's no detail here head south on a road that led about 60 miles south towards gaza that's a little bit like saying to you this morning head down the a49 in the direction of hereford it was basically uh, that was the, the level of detail that he had to go on not why he should go Not how far he should go, not to whom he was going, but just to go. How much guidance do we need before we'll act upon it? I think we should be really challenged by this. Go south. Yeah, yeah, but but why and who and when and how's it all going to work and what happens when we get there? Go south. Let's go and find out. And as he does set out on his journey, these pieces of the jigsaw fall into place as God reveals the different stages of the plan and opens it up to him. So he steps out in obedience and he goes on this journey. And as he does so, he finds this remarkable Ethiopian from the upper Nile region, presumably a a black African who is this guy? Well, it says that he's the uh, the treasurer for the Queen Mother, and that is a really important position. She performs certain tasks on behalf of the king, so he's almost like the Chancellor of the Exchequer or something like that for the kingdom where he's from. You don't see many job adverts like that these days, do you? You know, wanted, eunuch, to serve the royal family, must be good with numbers. I don't think we get many applications for that, At the moment but he is a very important person someone with a huge influence a really senior official and he's just been to jerusalem and that is a journey of about a thousand miles which in those days was an incredibly long way there's a strong chance that he's already a uh, a convert to Judaism at some level because he's gone to Jerusalem to worship he's not presented to us as a uh, as a convert from outside um Judaism that's that comes with Cornelius uh, in the next bit of acts so he's probably picked up some faith locally and, uh, and that's consistent with the fact that we know that there were communities of Jewish uh, followers, Jewish believers in the area that's now Ethiopia at that time. There were ancient Jewish communities. So it's likely that he's picked up some level of faith in his local area and now he's going to Jerusalem to worship and to see it for himself. And having done that, he's continuing his research and he's reading the scriptures. And it's at this point that Philip comes across him in our passage today. And suddenly, uh, Philip's journey south makes so much more sense because the spirit then says to him, this is why you're here, go and talk to him. So the miracle of the connection in this passage isn't just the geography, the fact that they were both on the road at that time, but it's, it's the timing of it, the fact that he's got that passage open. God has got every single detail of this in his hands, the place, the people, and the time. I find the next bit of this quite amusing to think about, and I'm fascinated to know how it worked. Was the chariot still moving? It feels like it might have still been moving because Philip has to run up to it. It must have been slow enough for the guy to still read. But I mean, how do you eavesdrop somebody in a chariot? If Philip's like running alongside, almost like jogging slowly, trying to keep up with it, you know, how do you make eye contact? How do you even start that conversation with someone next to you in that chariot? And Philip says something which took a bit of courage, really, because his opening question is do you understand what you're reading? I mean, maybe that's just me and the way we're wired over here, but that strikes me as being a little rude. If you walked up to someone on public transport who was reading a book or something and you said, excuse me, can I just check, do you understand what you're reading? But it's not meant like that. He's not offended. In fact, he's very humble. He's very hungry. He says, how can I understand unless someone explains it to me? and he invites him up to, uh, to sit with him, much to Philip's relief, I imagine, because if he's been jogging next to this chariot for a little while, he must be getting puffed out by this point. So, uh, so there's something about courage here, Philip being brave enough to approach him, but also the Ethiopian being brave enough to, uh, to accept the offer. There are two gifts here that, for the Ethiopian. The first is the scriptures themselves, and the second is the person to explain it to him. It feels like there's a fusion of those two things, the scriptures and the messenger, and and the, the fusion of those two things together is what the Holy Spirit uses to bring about a wonderful breakthrough in his life. If we fast forward this to today, I think most people who are watching this have a Bible. And you the Bible and you, the scriptures and the person who can explain it. It feels like that's all God needed to bring someone to a uh, a remarkable change and breakthrough in their faith. And he's reading from Isaiah 53. So let's just focus in on that passage. What was he actually concentrating on at the time? He was led like a sheep to the slaughter, And as a lamb before its shearer is silent, so he did not open his mouth. In his humiliation, he was deprived of justice. Who can speak of his descendants? For his life was taken from the earth. And the Ethiopian says, tell me, who is this? Is this the prophet himself or is this someone else? And Philip says, well, let me tell you about what has happened not so long ago back in Jerusalem, where you've just come from, let me tell you about Jesus Christ. It's amazing that he's reading these verses. None of the Jews were accepted Uh, expecting the Messiah to be this suffering servant in this way. They'd expected some sort of military triumph, uh, freedom from the Romans. It was Jesus himself who'd likened himself to a servant in Luke 22 and in other places. And the disciples have only really recently grasped this as a reality. Only now are they starting to go back into the scriptures, into the Old Testament, reading things like Isaiah 53 and understanding more and more of who Jesus was and and what his death and resurrection meant through these scriptures. And here our Ethiopian friend, of all the scriptures in the whole Old Testament, he's reached this point. The timing of that is absolutely incredible. The chances of that, of all the verses in all of scripture, it's just impossible to imagine. We're soon gonna read about Saul having a miraculous vision of Christ and, uh, and coming to faith, this amazing supernatural encounter with God. It's not quite like that for the Ethiopian. It's not the booming voice from heaven. He's got the scriptures and he's got somebody willing to explain the message of Jesus. This story shows the sheer power of the Bible when it comes alive in our hearts. I wonder sometimes, have we lost a bit of faith in the power of the Bible itself to bring people to repentance and faith? When we pray for people to come to faith, do we, do we pray that they would experience the resounding voice from heaven, the Damascus Road experience that doesn't actually involve us? Or do we pray that we ourselves would have the opportunity to explain the Bible to them? It feels like both are equally powerful in people understanding and having an opportunity to follow Jesus. There's a lot of food for thought in there. Let's continue, though, with the passage and from verse 36. As they travelled along the road, they came to some water and the eunuch said, Look, here is water. What can stand in the way of my being baptised? And he gave orders to stop the chariot. Then both Philip and the eunuch went down into the water and Philip baptised him. When they came up out of the water, the spirit of the Lord suddenly took Philip away and the eunuch didn't see him again, but went on his way rejoicing. Philip, however, appeared at Azatus, and travelled about preaching the gospel in all the towns until he reached Caesarea. Why shouldn't I be baptised? And on the desert road, they find some water. There and then... Repentance, faith, brings this desire for baptism. He's been searching, he's been learning, but now something has really changed in his heart. There's this eagerness, there's this fervor. Why shouldn't I be baptised? Well, there's no reason actually. Uh, There's some water over there, let's go and do it. This thing of like hearing the word of the Lord and it coming alive that really brings action is such an important part of this. I love it in James 1 where it says that um, if someone reads the word of God but doesn't act on it, doesn't put it into practice, it's like someone who looks at their face in a mirror and then goes away and forgets what they look like. The Ethiopian here, it's not just some head knowledge, it's not some new understanding, it's not uh, some uh, something else for him to know, but it's something in his heart that just gives birth to needing to do something, needing to really follow, and baptism is what happens. It says that Philip is then whisked away and taken away, and he saw that... We don't even know what that looks like, Um, but the Ethiopian goes on his way rejoicing. His whole future changed because of this encounter with the scripture and with a follower of Jesus. And he went back home. Presumably, he went back home to the Queen Mother, to his job, to his responsibilities, the things that hadn't changed in his life. And yet everything had changed because of this encounter. One interesting reflection, 60% of people in Ethiopia today identify as Christian in some way. Some of that is linked to later missionary work in the following centuries. But it feels really interesting that the only country south of the Sahara Desert that's had a, a Christian community and a Christian witness all the way through is Ethiopia. Other parts of Africa, that happened during colonial times and and that's a whole nother story. But Ethiopia has always had a church and a Christian witness, long before the rest of Africa to the south. Could we believe that this isn't just one person being touched, but this is like the spark of life in a nation? If so, that's completely incredible. We've heard the promise, this good news, this, this new way is going to break forward in Judea, in Samaria and to the ends of the earth. And now we have someone going to one of the ends of the earth, carrying with him his newfound faith in the Lord Jesus, the start of that promise being fulfilled. But what does all of that mean for us here today? and in our circumstances. And there are two ways that I'd really like to land this, and then I'd love us to pray into it in our groups this morning. I'm gonna steal a couple of uh, expressions that my dad used to use um, for this first bit, because I think they're really helpful. He used to describe the Christian walk, the day by day following Jesus, as the plod of God. The plod of God. Let me just explain that a little bit. It, just, it wasn't all a massive sprint. It was more like a long walk. And the day-to-day decisions, the choices, that daily walking in the spirit, that day-by-day discipleship, all of that adds together to make our Christian walk what it is. There definitely are some incredible moments, some moments of breakthrough, some real highs but there is a lot of time where we're just stepping forward, step by step, following Jesus, the plod of God. And it can be a little bit like that with God speaking to us as well. Sometimes there are these incredible encounters with God, the voice of the angel speaking to Philip. But much more often it's it's reading the scriptures it's in our it's in our own time praying. it's that still small voice of God in our hearts that we hear from him. It's that having that hunch that that nudge, that that picture of something, those words to say. and Dad used to describe that as the prod of God, the little prod, the little nudge now. I'm not suggesting for a moment that every time I have a nudge to do something, it's necessarily God speaking. I want to confess to you this morning that every time I walk past a Greggs, I have a nudge to go and buy a sausage roll. Now, I need to say that I recognise that is not the leading of the Holy Spirit, even though they are heavenly. But so many times those little prompts that thinking to contact someone, that doing a certain thing, going a certain way, seem to leave me in the right place at the right time in a way I can't explain. And I only know the outcome of that when it actually happens. The Holy Spirit inside us is speaking to us all of the time. Let's keep asking. And I love what Kath shared this morning looking for the way forward asking God in the day by day. That's my prayer for all of us this week. It's something that I'd love us to stay in our groups this morning and pray over one another. This coming week, Lord, would you guide us so that we're in the right place at the right time for what you have for us this week? That place might be virtual or it might be in person, but let us be there, Lord. And it might not be the voice of the angel that gets us there. I do believe in angels. I do believe that's all possible. But it is more likely that God's going to speak to us as we read the Bible, as we pray in our inner voice. And a final reflection to do with this whole encounter, this whole breakthrough, is that this moment happens in the context of the church being under terrible and extreme pressure their lives have been turned completely upside down. Their health and well-being is under threat on a daily basis. Everything they knew of before, of the way they gathered, the way they met, the way they expressed their Christian community, all of that has just been blown apart by this pressure that they are now under in their circumstances through persecution. Everything that they'd known had changed. And it's into that context that Philip listens to the voice of God and is obedient and there is great fruitfulness in the kingdom. It's in that context. He didn't say, it's a tough time at the moment so I'm just gonna hold back until it passes and then I'll see if God wants to use me. No, it was there and then in the heat of it, facing the difficulties that he hears from God and he steps out. So again, as we pray in our groups this week, I really want to pray that in the pressure of these days, obviously for us, it's not persecution, but there's other massive challenges that we face, that we will have that same heart of Philip, of hearing God and stepping out obediently to see his fruitfulness happen. We definitely need to hold on to God and to encourage and support one another in these times. Things have been so tough for different people in different ways. But somehow this passage reminds us in such a powerful way that it's in the face of trial that the people of God see him move in power. So I'd love us to pray now. If you're watching this later on catch up, I'd like you to stop at the end of the video and spend some time in prayer yourself. For those of us who are watching this uh, this morning, I'd love it if you could stay for groups and we can pray together and really land some of these things. But before we do that, I'd just like to pray now. Lord, I want to thank you for everything that this passage teaches us about the faith of Philip stepping out and following you. Lord, that all things are in your hands, the place, the time, the passage in scripture. Lord, I wanna thank you that we see your scripture coming alive in someone's heart and bringing them to true repentance and faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. Thank you, Lord, that your word has such power. And Lord, I wanna pray for each and every one of us this week with that day by day choice of following you, hearing your voice, the prod of God, those little inclinations, the way you lead us step by step. I wanna pray, Lord, that you would lead us into your purposes this week. Lord, we recognize that there is great pressure. We realize that things have turned upside down, but Lord, help us to be people who have faith like Philip, who hear your voice, who step out, and who see, see the fruitfulness that you bring because of our obedience to you. I pray that over each and every one of us in the name of Jesus. Amen.